15 minutes, lightning round. We're ready to roll. Yeah, here we go. episode of Open Up Digitals, this time with Greg Ferdino. The way in which we work is changing rapidly because of the digitalization of our workspace and of the new technological possibilities, everything is becoming different and Corona has really accelerated that change. So what now should companies do to deal with all these new challenges? How can employees stay connected and stay involved? What can we do better to really get the thing going? Today we're talking, and very happy to be talking, to Greg Ferdino. Greg Ferdino is a best-selling author, publicist, keynote speaker, and highly regarded authority on the digital now. He is known for his ability to predict trends and see the difference between FEDs and the future. Uh, he helps organizations change, and today he will talk to us about all these changes. A warm welcome, Greg. Thank you very much for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'd like to start with congratulating you on your new book. It is just released, actually, uh, The Never Normal. Could you give us a little insight what, what, what this book, The New Normal, is all about? Sure. So um, it's actually a book of 16 essays, some of which started out as blog posts, some as articles for places like the Times of London, um, and in particular, one brand new piece that kind of tackles the idea of, you know, the, this sort of, I think, misconception that a lot of folks have that we're going from an old normal to a new normal. And I believe we're going to a never normal where change will be the only thing that's predictable. Um, and that organizations really need to um, sort of do away with a lot of their old logic, their old assumptions about what works and become adaptable organizations capable of thriving in this world of never ending, relentless, um, highly disruptive in many cases change. Okay. And there are a lot of tips and tricks in it also for companies. Um, I think the biggest tip or trick really would be um, kind of shift your mindset. Um, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a, a sort of a tip book, but it's really to kind of prod leaders to think differently about the way they work and the way they lead. Okay. Thank you. Very clear. Yeah. Now, well, um, about our conversation about the corona, people talk about the future of work a lot. Uh, there are already a lot of changes in the way we collaborate and the way we communicate with each other. Until recently, a big part of that was the digital transformation, of course. Mm -hmm. And now there is corona, who has a very large influence on that. What things do you see that have gotten into gear because of the corona? So I, you know, I, I love to, you know, quote other people. <laughs> um, You're and um, you know, uh, Satya Nadala, the the CEO of um, of Microsoft, uh, on their recent earnings call, said that um, we've seen two years of digital transformation in the last two months, right? Um, and the way I look at it is not even necessarily that organizations have stepped two years into the future in their transformations, but that they've caught up on the last two years of change. And um, I think that's really been the biggest impact in terms of transformation of Corona is that organizations were forced to kind of get off the mark. A lot of organizations have had digital transformations plans in place, um, but frankly have been slow to act on those plans. And 
I think as soon as organizations saw that this is not just about technological disruption, but it's also about the possibility and reality of whatever, healthcare, social, political, climate disruptions um, happening all the time everywhere, um, organizations were forced to undergo transformation at a much more rapid pace. Okay. Yeah, and as a co-author of the uh, uh, Adapt Manifesto, you're, you're, you lead a movement to align leaders around a core of principles that help organizations to reliable and repeatedly adapt to changing environments in which they operate. Mm -hmm. We're looking at a massive change right now. There's so much mm -hmm. changing around us. What, what principles are we exactly talking about now and how can organizations sure. adapt to this new reality that we're living in? Sure, so the, so the ADAPT Manifesto has seven core values and 10 different principles. Um, but the underlying premise is that um, thinking about change as an event is insufficient and that organizations need to adopt a stance of always on change readiness. Um, and that, um, that change readiness needs to be both reactive. When something happens, how quickly can an organization respond to that change when that change is unexpected? the coronavirus outbreak, but also how can leaders and organizations be what we call one of the principles is be a student of change. So how can you keep an eye on what's happening out at the edges um, and think about what the implications will be for your organization before they become mainstream and then deliberately, intentionally reimagine, reinvent and restructure your organization in advance of change that could be coming. Um, the other, another principle that I think is particularly important right now um, is um, what, what we call embrace ambiguity, right? We don't know what's going to happen next. Will we go back to the office or stay out of the office, right? Will, um, will unemployment, um, you know, continue to become a bigger issue or will we go back to some sort of steady state? Will there be another pandemic coming two weeks from now? Will we have a coronavirus vaccine, et cetera, right? We don't know. Um, and a lot of times in absence of certainty, leaders and in organizations as a whole tend to kind of grind to a little bit of a halt <laughs> um, and they don't respond. So um, I think one of the big lessons for the post-pandemic world is this idea that you won't know exactly what the future will bring, but you need to consider some of the possibilities and establish um, a, an ability for your organization to thrive despite not knowing. Okay, so those are the main principles, but it is hard in 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 in... I mean, in theory, it's right, but, but in real life, it's hard because you have so much uncertainty. It, it can go that way, it can go that way. How, how, how do you decide on which you put the emphasis then? Or, I mean, so, you say go for sure. both, but that's sometimes difficult. Right. So, um, you know, I think you know, one of the basic premises of sort of futures thinking is the idea of scenario planning, the idea that anyone, I mean, nobody can really predict exactly how things will play out, but um, we can take a look at things that are happening today and project out how those might develop over time. Um, and you need to hold in your mind the possibility of multiple futures, that certain things may continue to progress in the same direction they're progressing. Other things may reverse. Other things may make a different, you know, kind of a left turn or a right turn, right? Um, and among these different possibilities, there will be futures that are preferable to your organization. They provide a scenario in which you strengthen your position, you become a dominant leader, et cetera, and others that are disruptive for your organization. Um, and what organizations really need to do is think about 
what are the decisions we can make today that will give us the greatest likelihood of creating a preferable future for the organization? But also, how can we maintain the flexibility, the agility, the resilience, so that if the world does not develop in the way we hope and expect, we have an ability to pivot quickly? Um, and that's really kind of the two concepts that kind of go together. Okay, so that's the idea of indeed keeping the scenarios open and, and planning on that and yeah, thinking and looking forward a lot to what might, uh, might come. Now, sure. uh, a lot of our viewers are... Um, marketing communication specialists mm -hmm. you were a pioneer in the world of micro content 10 years ago you wrote the best-selling book um get big results by thinking and acting small and you say that mass marketing is no longer a viable strategy yeah we should start very small actually and now getting consumer attention is still the holy grail for a lot of uh, marketeers what what could you advise those people to um concerning strategy um how behavior is changing through Corona of the consumer and how can they get the consumer to stay connected? Yeah. So it's interesting when I wrote that book 10 years ago, I mean, Twitter was still relatively new. We didn't have Instagram, right? It was, um, and um, the premise was actually kind of, I mean, I don't want to say groundbreaking talking about my own work, but like I think about one of the core concepts in the book was the idea of a micro influencer that people with small focused audiences that were passionate um, would be able to um, kind of, have a big impact on brands. And of course, today we have an entire industry built around micro influencers. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I think that number one, a lot of the things that I was talking about in the book 10 years ago um, are, are the realities of marketing today. And it was a little bit black and white, of course, to say mass marketing is dead. It's all about micro. Of course, these two things need to coexist in practice. But I think more and more brands are finding the benefit today in sort of small, repeatable, repeated, and scalable innovations. Um, so the ability to um, to test small and, and to embrace small um, uh, communities of people that can be engaged and activated in interesting ways. Um, I think the sort of the new thing that's happened now post-pandemic, of course, is that um, brands have, I think, for the last several years at least, been in some ways overly reliant on data about how consumers behave. And there's been a lot of talk in marketing circles about how, you know, almost like like the data-driven mindset is almost overridden the creative aspects of marketing in many cases. And I think we now need to see a return to creativity in particular because data about the way the consumer behaved before corona um, is largely irrelevant now, right? Um, you know, both because it has to be, right? Some behaviors have had to change. We can't walk into stores the way we used to, right? Uh, we can't go to concerts. We can't go to events. In other ways, because I think consumers want to be different, right? Um, E-commerce has always been, has been a factor for decades, but um, has only accelerated now in the case, you know, in, in, in this post-pandemic world. Um, but organizations, you know, retailers are still struggling <laughs> um, with the idea of e-commerce in many cases. So um, I think it's kind of, it goes back to almost the idea of throw away the old rule book, you know, challenge your assumptions um, and, you know, reimagine a new way to market to people as if you were, your brand were born today. And would you say that, because we're looking at this, this micro uh, marketing and uh, yeah, the micro influencers, etc. Does that also mean that it, it's going local or will it stay global? 
with the, the e-commerce, um, like you said, the local. Uh, sure, I think it's you know I guess to. You know, to kind of bang those two words together, it's kind of glocal, <laughs> right? Right. That I think, you know, I think that the effects are global, but I think that um, I think that there's certainly a lot of variance on, you know, at, at a local level. Um, you know, I think that for better or for worse, the pandemic has, and I think we know this obviously, that the pandemic has. Um, kind of turned the technology giants into technology super giants, um, you know, where, you know, Main Street suffers, but Amazon is having its best time ever, right? Um, so I think there is absolutely a global effect. I think the flip side of that is, of course, now you've got a lot of, you know, sort of nationalism rising for better or for worse, right? And um, people kind of, you know, kind of retreating to their kind of local communities or their countries and kind of being very, um, you know, a little bit more closed off than, than they had been in the past. Yeah. Now, now you, you said that we actually could throw out the old rule, rule book before the corona because everything has changed so much. Uh, you referred uh, in the past uh, lots of times to the famous management uh, guru Peter Rucker and he said the greatest danger in times of turbulence like digital dis uh, disruption or corona is not the turbulence itself but it is acting with yesterday's logic. Now, we have nothing else to go on than uh, yesterday's logic, because that's what we know and that we can refer to. So we need a new rule book. How, how can we change? What, what rules will there be? Can you shine your light on that? How can we stay um, in business and survive? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, the way I interpret um, the Drucker quote um, and I, I've kind of when I present that Drucker quote, I typically pair it with my interpretation, which is the way you've always done business is the way you will go out of business. Um, you know, and organizations have been, of course, adopting new rules and new logic over time. Any move towards transformation is, of course, adopting new logic. Um, but I think that, you know, when. I think too often leaders have gotten trapped in the idea when you think about digital transformation or digital disruption itself, they think that the digital, that digital disruption itself is the problem. Um, and they, um, look to technology as the solution. And that would be old logic, right? We're being disrupted by technological change. We respond by becoming more technologically forward ourselves. An, an example of new logic would be, what if we respond to technology with humanity, right? What if we learn to love our customers more? We become more customer-centered. We double down on the things that make the people in our organization more valuable than machines could ever be in terms of creativity and innovation and dealing with uncertainty, having empathy for customers. Um, you know, so that's an example of new logic. And I can't tell any organization exactly what new rules they should play by. Um, but certainly we try to kind of create a foundation for adopting new rules through the ADAPT manifesto, which we've spoken about, where we talk about, you know, being a student of change and embracing ambiguity and not being afraid to act in the face of uncertainty and funding the future, which is something a lot of organizations, especially marketers struggle with. You know, they put aside a 10% budget for innovation. And as soon as they get a budget cut, the innovation budget goes away. 
Um, you know, so it's, you know, some of these things, they're not rules really. In fact, there's an essay in the book um, that says the new rules no longer apply. Um, because as soon as a rule becomes a rule, it becomes old rules, right? Um, and that you instead need flexibility and guidelines and the ability to make decisions, but not necessarily sort of memorialize a set of rules um, that become the next thing to hold the organization back. Okay, so actually, uh, the rule that is staying actually is the human touch and the, the attention. Attention is the sure. gold, actually, uh, real attention for your customers and, 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 and real attention for... Uh, sure. And, and I think it's, it's, it's staying, right? It's a basic principle of humanity, I think, in a lot of ways. But it's also got to come back into business. I think in a lot of ways, businesses over time have, you know, kind of grown up in a way that almost minimizes the humanity of the people in the organizations. And, I, and it, that I don't believe that will be acceptable anymore in a digital age. Yeah, but we, we could use the, the digital uh, methods and, and all the technology to get more personalized attention, actually. Now, you, you, you're known for your uncanny uh, ability to predict, uh, predict the future, to forecast trends, actually, I should say. Um, now we have artificial intelligence, chatbots, 5G, a blockchain, Wi-Fi 6, real-time data analysts, machine learning. Mm -hmm. Does the corona... Uh, the influence of Corona, does it make it stop or does that make it accelerate more? Both. Um, I think it depends on the technology, right? So I was personally surprised that technologies like virtual reality did not have an immediate moment of acceleration, right? When people are trapped at home, uh, hungry for experiences, hungry for engagement and interaction, um, that this technology didn't finally have its moment in the sun. It's been struggling for years and years and years to break out of, of its, of its you know, sort of you know, micro niche, basically. Um, on the other hand, um, I think that a lot of organizations have looked at what's happened with Corona. Uh, in fact, I know this because I've seen it happening in organizations and have taken this as an opportunity to accelerate automation. Um, and that's where technologies like AI and machine learning and robotics and robotic process automation and all these sorts of things are actually accelerating now, um, which again kind of creates this almost like this I don't want to call it a war with the machines, right? But, um, you know, the thing that, that, you know, kind of experts were warning about, that the robots will come and take your job, um, it's kind of coming true, but it's happening kind of below the surface level. Um, you know, as, you know, unemployment is high and organizations are struggling, they're automating the rote, the routine, the repeatable. And that comes back again to this idea of now, how do human workers create new and different kinds of value? If your job is creating Excel spreadsheets, um, you're going to struggle. But if your job is to take on strategic challenges for the organization, or you learn to apply creativity within your field, um, or you learn to innovate within your area of expertise, you start to do the kinds of things machines don't do so well. So as these technologies are accelerated by things like the corona pandemic, um, we have an opportunity now to kind of reskill, relearn and become, um, you know, more open to new ways of working and reimagining the workforce. Yeah, and use the technology for our better. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the two work together. I, I, I sometimes say, um, you know, the industrial era taught us how to work like machines. Now we need to learn to work with machines. Um, and it is about human plus machine is better than either one of those things by itself. Clear. 
one final question. What is the biggest lesson that we have learned from this COVID to Corona thing? It's so hard to pick one, but I would say um, be prepared, right? <laughs> and what I mean by that is uh, you won't be able to predict or know everything that will happen, um, but you do need to recognize that this is just the beginning um, for better or for worse. Some changes will be positive and some will be negative, but um, you know, certainly we can't expect this is the last change. We can't do a minimally viable transformation and think we're done. We need to think ahead and, and plan for our next transformation. And I guess the other thing, which is less about business, but more in general is we're all in this together. Right? We, yeah, you know, that's for sure. <laughs> the world has never felt so connected in that sense, I think, really. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your insights and for your time. Craig Ferdino from New York.